Hey, Task Talks listeners, kids are experiencing trauma like never before, but how can you figure out whether they've been affected and how it impacts their behavior and performance at school? The FACT teacher form is the first comprehensive instrument measuring the effect of stress and trauma on children's behavior and performance at school from the teacher's perspective. Help them feel safe, supported, and ready to learn. Learn more at parinc.com backslash FACT underscore teacher or contact your PAR or PAR assessment consultant, Theo Miron at T-M-I-R-O-N at parinc.com. Welcome back to the Task Talks podcast, a podcast where we talk about all the goings on in the world of school psychology and other random musings. Um, as always, I'm Chris Ponce. I'm Kia. Hello, this is Brooke Roberts, and I love the uh, random musings part, Chris. Yeah, I mean, you know how easily we get off on tangents. That's, I think that's kind of the nature of our field, too. Um, how are you boys doing today? I'm good. Had a great weekend and uh, saw a lot of good friends. Um, so it's it's good. Really looking forward to today's episode. Awesome. So today on this episode, we do have two wonderful guests. We have former task president and current NAS Texas delegate Ashley Arnold, and we also have the former task president and current NAS president elect Dr. Lori Close. How are you guys doing? How are you two doing? <laughs> doing well. Doing well. Uh, great to be here, and we appreciate you having us on. All good. All good. Good. So w- whenever we have guests on the, the podcast, a lot of things are we're going to talk about a lot of things. But one of the things we usually generally like to ask is, how did you come into the field? Right. I mean, I'm generally speaking for some of the other people, it's kind of been a stumbling thing. Right. You kind of learn about the field maybe as you're applying or as an adult. Um, and I think it's been very rare, at least with our experience, that somebody's intention from the onset was to be a school psychologist. Mm-hmm. So maybe, Ashley, let's start with you first. How did you become a school psychologist? Where did you do your training? You know, one day, Chris, you're going to start with that. And the person's going to tell us that they've been giving a whisk <laughs> to their teddy bears since they were like three. Oh, yes. Like it's, it's going to happen eventually. You keep. Yeah. So I hate to let the listeners down, but no, that's not <laughs> how I joined the field. So, yeah. So I did my undergrad at Stephen S. F. Austin, Axum Jacks in Mac of Nowhere. And I was getting my uh, degree in psychology and knew that a bachelor's in psychology wasn't going to take me far in life. So I knew I was going to have to go to grad school or do something else. So I was working full time as the manager of a bookstore, my second favorite job ever. <laughs> and um, one night when it was slow, I just decided to take a book off the shelf that said top graduate careers in psychology and thumbed through it, saw school psychology. And I was like, huh, That sounds neat. Let me let me apply for that. And my husband at that time was um, transferred to the Austin area, so I was commuting back and forth my last semester at SFA to Austin, and uh, look and saw that Southwest Texas State University had a program, and I was like, cool, let me do that. I applied, and yeah, that's that's how I found out about the field of psychology. Picked it out of a book. 
So the book didn't say LSSP at all? Just No, <laughs> no, the book did not say LSSP. That was uh, quite a shock when I got to campus because um, I was quite confused for a while about what LSSP was because I thought I was doing school psychology. For the listeners, if you picked up, when I started there, it was Southwest Texas. <laughs> and then actually the semester before I graduated, they changed it to Texas State Universities. I, I still count myself around uh, a part of the OG of Southwest Texas. So did that and did my practicum in Bastrop, Texas, because I had to get a job while going to grad school. So I was working at the local MHMR facility at that time and uh, did practicum in Bastrop. And it just so happened that my practicum supervisor was the uh, current TASP president. And she said, looked at me and said, lackey you're going to do the grad student rep on TASP. And, you know, as a scared practicum student, I was like, oh, okay. Of course. Um, Of course I will. Um, And so Baseball Jan told me I was going to get involved with TASP. And so I ran for graduate student rep in 2003 and was elected. And so that's kind of how I got started was as grad student rep. That's another, that. Uh, that, that's another legend that we yes. need to have on the show. Jan, Jan Opella. She and Maria Bayumi were my practicum supervisors, but you know, for the first, my practicum and my intern, which I both did in Bastrop, um, she referred to me as lackey. And so I little had, had an identity crisis for a long time because I wasn't sure of what my name actually was. So yeah, so got on the task board as graduate student rep enjoyed it and then became membership chair the following year did awards and honors the year after that um, for, and did that for a while and then decided hey I really like the task convention I'm a planner I'm an organizer let me do that so I was task convention chair um, for three years and then um, was kind of told I should also run for president so I ran for task president and did that that is not quite how I remember that. <laughs> were you, were you, did they say lackey run for president? Cause I don't feel like lackeys can run. I feel like you had to have been promoted by that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unless you're a really good lackey. <laughs> well, see, you know, so yeah, was president, did that, uh, then did GPR chair cause advocacy had become important at that time and then did historian. Um, and that takes us up to 2014. Um, and I've been historian ever since and then became NASP delegate uh, two years ago now and been doing that. That's kind of my TASP history. That is my volunteer job, what I do for a living. So I was an LSSP in Bastrop for a long time, um, became a clinical supervisor, stu- started supervising practicum students, interns, thought I wanted to be a special ed director. So I did that for one year in Smithville ISD in 2010. <laughs> Didn't realize that uh, it wasn't, it was all cracked up to be. Um, so did that, been there, bought the t-shirt, returned the t-shirt and went back to just supervising LSSPs and then took a job in Pflugerville ISD as the evaluation coordinator there um, where I got to really build the program and really make systems level change. I was in charge of um, LSSPs and art facilitators and was in Pflugerville ISD for eight years and really proud of the work I was able to accomplish there with really transforming the role of a school psychologist there. And um, 
you know, based off all those opportunities that led me to where I currently am as employed as an assessment consultant um, with the best publishing company out there, Western Psychological <laughs> Services. <laughs> That's a badass career, Ashley. So you've kind of kind of been on almost every position on the board, it seems like. Uh, pretty much, yeah. I've not done treasurer. But, That's but, the one. Yeah, treasurer and area rep, but otherwise I've pretty much done it all. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Sometimes, sometimes we date ourselves in the field by uh, the version of the whisk that was in use at the time that we started. Do you, do you remember, Ashley? Whisk three, whisk three, and it yeah. had just came out from whisk R that people were still kind of talking about the, the change from whisk R to whisk three. So yeah. <laughs> so yours had a number that went with it. That's good. That's yeah. good. <laughs> so let's transition to Lori. So same questions, Lori. How did you get into this world? Well, let's see. So I went to. Baylor, undergraduate, Sikkim Bears, national champions, basketball. First, I was a biology major. I was pre-med. And then I looked around, decided I couldn't stand anyone in my, any of my classes. And I didn't want those to be my colleagues for the rest of my life. So I switched to be a psychology major. So I graduated with a psychology major with all of my electives being upper level science classes. So I didn't take any extra psych classes, just the minimum. It was very bizarre. But anyways, I was, I, again, knew I could either be a very well-educated bartender or go to graduate school. So I went to meet with my advisor and she said I was going to go child clinical. That was my plan. And she said, have you ever considered school psych? And I, of course, asked the question, what is that? And so she said, essentially, look it up. So I started looking around and just by the way, this was before the interweb. So, I so had you also purple. found it in a book like Ashley. Yes, <laughs> I had the purple APA school psychology graduate programs book. And that's where I started. I read the description of school psychology programs and I was like, school, I've been playing school since I was four. <laughs> psychology apparently that's what my degree is in this seemed to make sense so I was like all right so I applied and I got into two pro two doc programs which was the University of Texas at Austin they offered me a full ride and then I got into UC Berkeley since I'm a spoiled brat I called my dad and he said if you get into UC Berkeley you have to go he obviously supported me through that and um yeah so I went out to Berkeley from Baylor <laughs> I went from being the most liberal person I knew at Baylor to the most conservative person I knew mm -hmm. at Berkeley and I was exactly the same person mm -hmm. that was a bit of a surprise I did my PhD there and I loved it I loved school psychology everything about it um my advisor in grad school was Nadine Lambert so I mean, she's definitely one of the formative people in the field. And so I feel very fortunate. Just side note, in my cohort was Frank Worrell, who is the current president-elect of APA. Yeah. So we were apparently a badass cohort. Um, <laughs> I did internship and did practicum in the, the Delta uh, near the Bay Area was interesting. Because just, you know, 30 minutes from San Francisco, it was like stepping into rural East Texas in many ways. Um, and then- My hometown, that's fine. Yeah, that's why I did that. And then I did my internship 
and then my first uh, job was in the uh, city of Alameda, which is a small island right across channel from Oakland. So that was um, an interesting experience because there was a huge Air Force base there. So we were, we had a, an interesting mix of military families, families who had moved out of Oakland for various reasons. And then believe it or not, at that time, a bunch of the uh, warriors lived there in kind of the nice neighborhood on this island. So it was a really bizarre um the basketball team. Yes, the basketball team. It's not like fighters distinct from the military. I if I, you know, do any, say any sports reference that everyone gets it. Yes, the Golden State Warriors basketball team, a number of them lived on the island at that time. It was, you know, it was, a, it was an interesting mix of kids and families and situations. And uh, I loved it. Loved every minute of it. And then my husband got a postdoc position at... Um, Harvard Medical School. So we traveled cross country in the convertible Volkswagen. How trite is that? Um, <laughs> a couple of underachievers here is yeah, what you're the, really describing um, to me. The uh, the air conditioning went out in Lincoln, Nebraska at Ogallala or however you say Ogallala, Nebraska. I got I pulled over, got out of the car and refused to continue. Um, <laughs> I did eventually get back in the car. Anyways, I worked in Peabody, Massachusetts for three years, which is a, a small town on the North Shore of, of the Boston area. And it was it was like nothing I'd ever seen. They didn't know what to do with me. I didn't know what to do with them. But I felt like I, I came in there and what they were doing was so like 1950s. I, and fortunately, my boss was a great guy. And I was just like, no, I'm, I'm, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not giving IQ tests to kids just because the, the teacher just kind of wants to know. Yeah, just want to know. No, we're not doing that. A rebel at an early age. Well, I wasn't, shoot, at that time I was already hmm, 28, I don't really. But anyways, it was great. I, I left it better than I found it. So I felt good about that. And then I spent one year working in Newton, Ma. And um, that is the best school psych job I will ever have. It's, we We literally had unlimited resources. We had ridiculous staffing. Um, the principal in the middle school where I was primarily based was a, a former um, clinical psychologist. I mean, it was just little, uh, and it was a huge salary. So then we, um, after one year, we're, we moved to San Antonio. Yay! I took a $40,000 pay cut when I moved from Newton to uh, Northside in San Antonio. I mean, granted, the cost of living is different, but still. I went from being a well-respected community professional to a school employee who no one believes what they say. I mean, it was really bizarre. And so I walked into Northside and Barry Doolin, former member of the licensing board, was my boss. He hired me and my supervisor was Susie Gonzalez. And if anyone listening knows her, knows what an amazing person and psychologist she is. Uh, they were just beginning the whole the whole notion of well this was in 1997 and so idea 96 had just been reauthorized so they were they were actually doing the work and looking at what does this mean for us and how can this you know affect our assessment i was on the group that designed the what has now been messed up and changed and misunderstood as the read but the three-year reevaluation um not the three-year throw tests at them so i was a 
part of that process. Myself, a couple of other school sites, and an attorney. Um, they were just getting started on that. I was stunned that, that they weren't already doing that because I had been doing that in Cal, both in California and in Massachusetts. So that was an interesting experience. So anyways, I stayed there for seven years, full-time as a school psych, and then literally the teaching job at Texas State fell in my lap. I saw the ad. I was in no way qualified for what the ad said. I went and interviewed anyway. And Alicia Scribner, if anybody listening remembers her, said to me in my interview, you are in no way qualified for the way this job was written. And I'm just like, well, dang, I got all dressed up and drove up here for nothing. Called me the next day and said, well, we can't hire you into the position that, that, you know, it was because the person needed to be bilingual. Anyways, but they, they created a job for me. So for the first year, I was some, I don't know what my title was and then the next year they rolled that into a full-time position so I stayed there for 11 years I did not overlap with Ashley we missed each other by two years I think contrary to what people think (laughs) yes contrary to what people think and then the Trinity director of the program at Trinity in San Antonio retired so I took that job for four years wasn't as good a fit as Texas State had been for lots and lots of reasons, nothing to do with students and everything to do with systematic stuff. So now I have a weird, I guess, private company. I don't like to call it private practice because it's not really private practice because I still work for schools, but it's, you know, I contract for individual cases. Um, I do some IEEs, which I love. Um, I wanted to do parent advocacy more, but that does not pay the bills in case you wondered. Um, so I do IEEs so I can continue to be a parent advocate. And then I do lots of training. And then next year, I do none of that. And I am NAS president. So when do you officially uh, transition into that? July 1st. So our listeners can totally tell that the the experience and the expertise here on this show today is is uh, so, so wide and, and just huge. And I've been antsy for this, uh, this third episode of, of this series on the history of school psychology in Texas. So what what when you guys kind of came onto the scene, what was going on in, in Texas? Well, you know, when I came on, uh, we were still subtracting 16 points. So that was, um, you know, like that was kind of interesting. You know, you leave grad school thinking you're going to be trained and all I needed to know how to do was subtract 16 points, you know, so that was by then, you know. I thought was always, I was like, I wonder if I could train a monkey to do my job. I I did. I was like, oh, okay. So very test heavy, very just, we do, you know, test in place, test in place. That's what we did back then, you know, doing art paperwork. So that was a shock too. When I got out of grad school, you mean, I wait, now I got to learn how to fill out boxes and check this box, dot this I, cross that T, which wasn't mentioned in grad school, that that was going to be a huge part of my job was paperwork. So that, that was kind of when I got started, that, that was the, the mode, if you will, of school psychology in Texas for me, when I got started as a school psych. I think one of the jokes that I always tell people is like when I was in grad school, my thought was, oh, I should have gone to medical school before I did this job. And then when I started working, I said, actually, I should have gone to law school before I did this job because that would have been more applicable to what I ended up doing when I first started. I had never given an achievement test before I moved to Texas. That was not part of the role. 
um, in California or Massachusetts, and we didn't train on achievement tests. By the way, we also didn't train on the WJR at the time. Um, so that was a big surprise to come and have school sites spending hours administering WJR COG and achievement because I had learned of the, the limitations of such a battery. Right. So that was a big surprise for me. Um, I came to Texas in 97. I really did feel like I was stepping back about 10 years at least in terms of what was considered best practice in school psychology, um, what was going on in the schools. Again, not what was going on in the training programs because I start, start talking to my colleagues and they're all, they like know all the right things, you know, and all the current things, but they're just like, well, but we have to better that. When someone says to me, we have to, then my, my follow-up question to that is under what authority? And if you can't answer that it's federal law or morally required, then, then, then my answer is, well, then you don't have to, you know? And so that's, you know, I really felt like there was a ton of work to do in terms of advocacy for the profession, which then translates into much better services for kids. Um, yeah, because so, I think that's it. Because I, you know, that was the thing coming out of grad school was how compliance driven that the field really is. Um, and same with Laurie, you know, trying to figure out why. And it, a, a lot of it's, well, that's because we've always done it. And then you keep digging, well, that's because what our attorney told us. And I'm like, well, what the attorney, you know, as opposed to a, a, a school psychologist like that, that I think was a big surprise for me. Um, and I can, and I can say definitely, you know, in my work with NASP, it's not like that in other states. They're not near as compliance driven as we are in the state of Texas. So. And, and Lori, can I ask you a question real quick? Mm -hmm. And I think it's, I just learned about this too, but can you kind of talk about the whole achievement thing you're referencing about other states don't necessarily do yeah. that? Cause I think yeah. some of our listeners may not actually know that. Well, in both, in both, I mean, I can speak specifically to California, right. Massachusetts. The teachers did the achievement testing um, and sometimes it was special ed teachers and sometimes it was regular ed teachers. Just depended on the school and how they were staffed and actually who liked to do that work. Because um, right. usually they had other instructional responsibilities as well. And, um, you know, and as far as, as far as I was concerned when I came and was asked to do that, I'm like, well, I don't know how to assess something that, you know, this, I know about development and cognition and, and a little bit about neuropsych and how that lays over on learning. I don't know about grade levels for spelling. You know, right. I mean, I just, it was just not a part of what I had ever done. That had always been um, considered the, the domain of the, the teachers, the instructional people assessing the impact of instruction on the kiddo. I mean, it still makes sense when I say it out loud. You know, it's just, it's a, it's a different model. It was, again, the compliance thing is so constraining in so many cases. Now, of course, not everywhere because you can be compliant and also really do good practice, you know, best practice. When I entered that job in Peabody, Mass, I had 180 cases that were overdue. There's only 180 school days. So I was like, well, this is never going to, yeah. So quadrupling yeah. up, right? <laughs> so yeah. So it's like, okay, so that's not where we're starting. You know, yeah. we gotta start, we gotta start somewhere else with tackling this problem because I can't sit here and test 180 kids 
And anyways, you didn't line them up and just do processing speed all at the same time and say, go, (laughs) we don't authorize group administration of any assessments. Please read your manuals. Read the manual. manual. Lori, can you talk about, I'm just curious. And I guess I know just, um, I've heard this. And so looking at those coastal States, the, the role or lack thereof of educational diagnosticians. That was not, that was not a role in either of those States. And as I want to just curious because i i've always heard that and i know i wonder our, our viewers have always been curious viewers our listeners have been curious yes, i'd never heard of such a profession before i moved to texas i know they do have in other states i have learned since but yeah i would say honestly if i'm if i'm if i'm honest which you know i try to be as the former ethics chair i try to be honest <laughs> um the, those teachers that I worked with, they functioned a lot like educational diagnosticians, except they didn't, they didn't administer cognitive testing, but in terms of what they brought to the assessment, I would say it was, it was similar because they're coming at it from an instructional standpoint, but they were, they were not credentialed as that. They were credentialed as special education teachers, so... So, so we're talking about, you know, what every, a lot of things that you guys saw was going on that really needed to be changed. Ashley, where did, where did you start? What, you know, you came onto TASP as grad student rep and kind of moved into other roles. How, how did you decide, let's pick this issue and, and let's start working on it? Started in uh, 2008 at the NASP convention in New Orleans, which is always a favorite location. We happened to, I happened to be there at the NASP convention. So, you know, in 2008, I was convention chair. So I'd been on the task board for about five years at that point. And we got notified that there, our licensing board, TSBEP, sanctioned an LSSP for the use of the NCSP credential. And we were just astounded and, and you know, pissed off really about it. Like they can't do that. So that's kind of what started, I would say, you know, my uh, passion for advocacy, just because I was like, they can't do that. So yeah, then it turned into a long battle. So, you know, when you talk about why you should join a professional organization, organization, that this is the example I frequently use. So we were we were in New Orleans enjoying the sights and sounds of Mardi Gras and NASP convention and got this news and we were really mad. And, and fortunately, you know, it was NASP convention. So we had immediate access to the NASP leaders. I mean, we could just find them in the hall or in a bar, you know, wherever. <laughs> and so we we started with them because, you know, they have the, they're the ones that have the NCSP credentials. So work with them. Long process, you know, up till 2010 and NAS, you know, because we tried to reach out to TSBEP informally, um, informally about it. NASP sent a cease and desist letter to TSBEP in like March of 2010, um, preventing them from, you know, saying, you know, you can't do that. TSBEP, you know, had a meeting, we had had a first letter from the from the NASP attorney directing them to tell them to quit doing it and y'all needed to change your board rules. Took a while because, you know, TSBP only meets quarterly. I mean, so it takes a while for anything to happen. TSBP finally had a hearing in January of 2011. So now we're into 
my presidential year and had a lot of people testify, uh, come and give comment on that public hearing. And then finally, after that, TSBP asked for an attorney general opinion that whether people could use the NCSP credential. And of course, you know, 2011, for those not on your legislative session, because, you know, in Texas, we can't be bothered with meeting every year to deal with the matters of the state. 2011 happened to be a legislative year. TASP worked with our legislative liaison, got a bill drafted, got a bill heard. We provided testimony in the Senate. Um, more And at the same time, NASP is still working with us. The NASP attorney was still involved and they had done a rule. Finally, so the legislative session, people remember, just January to May, we're still working on it. And finally, in December of that year, Attorney General Greg Abbott issued a letter saying that they, LSSPs, could use the NCSP credential. It was neither false nor inherently misleading or deceptive because that was the opinion TSBEP took. So they, then the NASP attorney, you know, TSBEP didn't immediately respond. So the NASP attorney had to send them a letter in February of 2012 saying, you need to make a rule about this. So yeah, so it from basically, you know, Mardi Gras 2008 to Mardi Gras 2012. So four years was about how long it took to get that whole debacle with the NCSP credential taken. And so, you know, what we learned from that, and, and Laurie, Laurie was my partner in crime that whole time um, too. So I don't want to discount the work she did, but I, I think for, I, I can speak for her as well on this particular topic that it really taught us that grassroots advocacy does work. You know, it really can just take people standing up and saying, no, you're not going to do this. You know, if you stick with it, like a dog with a bone, you can make change happen. And so that's really what it is. And I think that kind of gets to, as school psychologists in Texas, we're our own worst enemies. We don't advocate for what we can do. And, and I think a lot of it's imposter syndrome, thinking we can't. In case you haven't already figured out, or if you happen to know Laurie and I, we don't really wait for people to tell us that we can do something. We just decide something needs to happen. And by God, we're we're going to do it. So, yeah. This, this story, I think, is so important just because and that was 10 years ago. And, you know, we're licensing 40 to 50 new uh, licensees every year. We're talking about 400 to 500 new licensees who have no recollection of, uh, of this and what things were like that time. Uh, and so I think it's really important to share these stories. Kia? I just wanted to check in to see, like, during that time, because that is quite the ordeal, was y'all's anthem in this process, the Twisted Sister classic, We're Not Going to Take It Anymore. Uh, we prefer pour some sugar on me. Okay. <laughs> Not quite the advocacy song, but, you know, hey, yeah. still good it, stuff. It got us <laughs> in the right mindset. <laughs> so many things happened during that. It was solid work. We had very little mental energy left for anything else. Did our jobs, and then we did this for five years. The the attorney, so Nat, Ashley and I got summoned to what used to be called the delegate assembly, and they were in they were in executive session. So yeah. any extraneous people have been cleared out from this meeting. And here and Ashley and I sat, and at that time, the 50 delegates sat in one of those open squares, and we had to tell them why NASP needed to allocate funds to help Texas fight this fight. 
and I don't know that we were adequately prepared for what we were walking into, but right. obviously it worked because they, they did pay the attorney's fees on our behalf. Of course, they had a vested interest, you know, for the NCSP because we're big. We're not just a big state. We're a ginormous state. Um, when it comes to NAS members. So anyways, a friend of mine that we know that's uh, an attorney, she referred to our attorney that represented us as a pit bull in a St. John's suit. And she <laughs> was, she was this petite little thing and she looked perfect at all times, but man, she wasn't having it on our behalf. And that was, it was really interesting. And you know, some people were like, why are you, why are you fighting for something that doesn't even... It doesn't get you a bonus. It does. It's not required for practice. It's not. And and the answer for Ashley and I was: it's the principle of the thing. We were told we couldn't utilize a credential that we legitimately earned and maintained. Well, and I'd like to point out too: I, I'm an NCSP with a master's degree because I'm pre-specialist degree. Um, that wasn't a thing when I went to Southwest Texas. But Laurie is a PhD. <laughs> And does not hold the NCSP credential because, you know, she's special and used to work for Praxis for reviewing the test, the Praxis exam. But that's what I think is important for people to remember. They, they, they thought it was a personal battle. So I had the credential, but Laurie does not. So that's oh. the other thing, you know, I, I think is important to point out. It wasn't, it, you know, we were fighting on behalf of everybody else. What and other victories have, have, have we faced? challenges it's a have victory we faced every day every day is a victory <laughs> rolling out of bed yeah. <laughs> well i think so much energy was thrown into that the next logical step was to tackle the lssp even during this ncsp fight and certainly with this with respect to the the title let, let's just be clear there were people within our profession within task who were not in favor of it and I understood that because they had spent the kind of energy to get the credential established. And they made concessions along the way to find a home for school psychology credentialing that we had to have because the, the education agency had was done with us, the teacher credentialing people. So it was it it made sense why they were not necessarily wanting to do anything risky because they have worked really hard to get that on board. But anyways, the NCSP thing was the first step in the chipping away at the school psychologist title in Texas. It really, it really is. And it, and goes, so, to, yeah. it goes to representation. So Brooke, you know, when you talk about other victories, part of that same time for the, we were battling the NCSP and, and tasked right along the way, almost every legislative session has had a title change bill, you know, whether it was an actual bill we filed whether we tried to do it as an amendment on the House floor. But at the same time, we were also working on adequate representation with TSBEP. You know, I, I know y'all have a previous episode with Donna Black and Art Hernandez talking about that, but representation matters. And so at that same time, TASP had also worked on a bill that we wanted to ensure there was one dedicated seat representing LSSPs on the board at that time, because it had been mainly... LPs, licensed psychologists, and LPAs. And so in our quest to make a data, database decision, um, we ran the numbers and, you know, it, LSSPs were growing. And so we finally, you know, um, so we had a bill, 
to dedicate at least one seat by an LSSP. And, you know, we kept getting pushback because by happenstance, either an LP or an LPA also had an LSSP. So people are like, oh, you're represented. But when you actually looked at the statue, it said nothing about solely an LSSP. So we, we were fighting that during that 2011 legislative session, and ultimately we compromised. Um, and I can remember being at the Capitol at midnight uh, with Laurie and our legislative liaison um, and just feeling defeated because the compromise is it was going to be a half a position. We couldn't get a full position. And so that's where it stands now, uh, even you know 10 years later, is that the, the, the statute just says, you know, the person has to be an LSSP and either an LP or an LPA. Um, it's, it's always such a weird position to be because I think about that, you know, I try to think of analogous situations and that'd be like me being able to stand in as a sociologist because I double majored in psychology and sociology for my undergrad, but I have never done any real work or further study in sociology. And so right. it's just a weird piece, but right. unfortunately yeah. sometimes the name of the game is compromise. Um, yeah. And also sometimes it's baby steps. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that what you just said is so critically important for people who are interested in grassroots advocacy is baby steps. That's how you begin. And you can't, you can't do anything before you begin. And so not, not backing down on that NCSP thing, not being afraid to take on TPA, quite frankly, to just say, no, you're misbehaving and we're not having it anymore. And securing representation on the board. Those three things are very foundational. I think, you know, anyone who knows me and who knows any of this history knows that David White and I went round and round and round. And for our listeners, David oh, White sorry. was the former um, executive director of the Texas Psychological Association. <laughs> right. And we, and, and we. Who was not a psychologist. Oh, no. no, 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 no. He's an association management person, but he was authorized to make decisions and represent their position. And we thought that we had support from them regarding the NCSP thing. They, and then his excuse to me was, as we are showing at each other, well, we didn't have a problem with the letters. We just didn't want you to use the words that went with them. And then I knew, you know what? No more playing nice with you. We're going, we're going to the mat on this. But the point is, that there had been a lot of fear because TPA is powerful. They have a lot of members and they well organized and all that. But we were tiny but mighty and just we just weren't having it. And so I think that once we established that PASP was a force, that we would be heard and that we wouldn't stop, that has made it so much easier to like do things like get the clarification on the language for what to, well, and this is now up for grabs again, what to do in that gray area between graduation and getting your your license finalized and who's supervised and what do you call it that was something that was fairly easy to do because we had already established that we weren't just messing around we were really trying to do the right thing and well, um, I, I think it spoke to just that tsbp had viewed lssps 
as the lesser license, and that's a direct quote from the previous uh, previous executive director of TSBEP. Is this, while is this when we were the dental hygienists of psychology? Is that the quote? Oh, that was the TPA president. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So this was while while you if you ever attend a TSBEP meeting, you sit there basically as the peanut gallery because you're not allowed to speak. And the executive director, who is not the not there now, um, or the most recent previous executive director of TSBEP either. Let's clarify that said well they're the lesser license so obviously Laurie and I hearing that took that as a, a slap in the face and so you know part of that whole time with the NCSP credential you know I think they recognized in the past LSSPs hadn't been advocating as much so they could make rules do things and they weren't going to hear from LSSPs about it mm-hmm. um, and so like Laurie said we weren't going to take it and so we through that, um, they got a new executive director at TSVEP, who we formed an excellent relationship with, um, because he was a he started off as their staff attorney um, yeah. with that, and he came on in this system and was like, "What is the deal between you people? Like, what, why, why do they view you as a lesser license? Because that executive director at TSVEP had been there like 30, 40 years, you know. So that that helped, um, and then it was just showing up. I think that's a big part of it. Is Laurie and I attend did almost every single TSBEP meeting you know since 2008 and it's and it, even now today it's rare that I miss one now granted I'm fortunate I live here in Austin but it, it's showing up so that they see your face in the audience every right. single time right. and it led them to when they started to make a rule call us you know Daryl Spink um, former TSBEP executive director was a huge help in just forming that relationship and so when you talk about right. building external stakeholders that's a key piece of it. And so now we have both have a cell phone and can call him up. Now he's moved up to bigger and better things <laughs> to be heck. But yeah, that's, that's, it's, it's showing up whether you're invited or not. I think that's the key. No one invites you to TSBEP. What so does it bring, you know, your, bring your own chair. Yeah, definitely. Bring your chair. They don't have a chair for you. Bring your chair, pop it out, crack one open and be ready to talk. Wow. You have both seen so much change in school psychology in Texas over, over these years. From your seat, what is there left to do? Nothing. It's all good. <laughs> Come on, Laura. Uh, my mantra. Float along. I think I know what you're going to say, but uh, I want to hear uh, well, you. Well, I'll go first because I think you know what I'll say. Uh, to me, until we change the title, my work's not done. And that's what it is for me. Yeah. Until we get the title. And we, we still, we, well, I mean, and from a technical point, we also need to update the occupations code to reflect the 2020 NASP standard. So we need to do that next legislative session. So there's some tiny things, but for me, the, the last hurdle is the title change. I mean, I agree that we need a title change. I have mellowed on that because we have it on excellent authority that we can call ourselves in words, school psychologists. We can have that on t-shirts. Um, we can, yeah. you know, the only conference? We, yes, no. I do. No. <laughs> Begged the executive director of TSVP to wear that keep calm and call a school psychologist shirt. He wouldn't do it. The listener's uh, perspective, we were at a task convention and it was Texas State mm-hmm. was selling t-shirts and the t-shirt said, keep calm and call the school psychologist. And so it was a hit. Well, then this rumor spread that you can't do it. You're good. Find, you know, you'll get sanctioned. And people literally were bringing the t-shirt back, throwing it back at Texas State saying they couldn't do it. And Laurie and I are like, 
it tell me where in the rules it says you can't wear a t-shirt that says school psychologist you know mm-hmm. like that's what has been part of the problem with the title is doesn't say that you know like it only says you can't use it in professional correspondence you know and so he and they, Darryl, and they can't regulate our language either exactly exactly and so daryl speaking you know executive director of tsbp happened to be there at that time and was just laughing uh and laurie and i really tried hard to get him um to put the t-shirt on but he did not <laughs> he declined yeah, that's, that's the advocacy effort, getting Daryl to wear a t-shirt. We, yeah, we, so are probably, uh, we are probably doing a t-shirt. Well, when, there's been some talk about doing a t-shirt this year for a convention of uh, this is what a Texas school psychologist looks like. So, that's which, nice. I like yeah, that. Yeah. That is important, critically important for all the reasons that we've been talking about for you know this whole time. But for me, what I would, what I think is next to do, not left to do, but next to do, is really look at trying to do more about who, you know, scope of practice in terms of what we are trained to do and really just coming up with some sort of delineation between what we do and what DIAGs do. They're, they're another profession. They are trained differently. They are trained to do what they're trained to do. They bring with them the experience of having been classroom teachers, which we don't, near, we don't necessarily have to have. I, I'm, we can peacefully coexist, but through the understanding of the differences, I think we elevate the possibilities for school psychologists and what, what we can do or what can be expected. Um, and we can also put limitations so that we don't have people who haven't had training in psychology out there practicing psychology. And this is you know, not personal against any one person, but I've heard of DIAGs doing neurological testing that is, that is not okay. Participating in diagnosing of developmental disorders, that is not okay. Um, those are the purviews of psychology. And so I think that that, to me, that I'm, I'm as passionate about that role delineation and what that means for the practice of school psychology as Ashley is about the title. For me, that's what's next. I think it will be hard to address the shortages without addressing that because it's faster to get a DIAG certificate and go through a DIAG program and it's the same money. So there has to be some reason why someone would do a three-year full-time training program to be a school psychologist instead of a summer year, summer training to be a diagnostician if you're getting the same money and in many places doing largely the same work. But I also, I'm also grateful that it's, you know, it's time, it's time. And for TASC, I think TASC needs to be very intentional about growing new leaders. And I'm so excited to see the current makeup of the board is really full of people who haven't been around forever. There's important, it's important to know your history and where you've come from. It's also important to have the new people, you know, come in and different stages of career. So, you know, it's extremely hard for someone like me to, to step back. Being NAS president isn't exactly stepping back, but you know what I mean, from task per se, and let the people, you know, who are the current leadership do their thing. It's hard, but it's important, you know, for people who are listening, who, who've thought about getting involved. There are so many ways to get involved and the board does a lot of the work themselves and, but there's always, com- there really are committees that people can be on to assist so that you don't have to commit to being an, an officer, you know, you can, but you can still be involved in leadership. So that's what I would like to see. Leadership development, role definition with DIAGs, 
after Ashley gets the title change. <laughs> get, get the name update. Thank you all both. And thank you both for being here because um, I think y'all provide a great context of a lot of the history of the advocacy looking to supporting that next generation that, that Lori was talking about. What is advice y'all would offer to the next generation of, of school psychs of LSSPs and how, if they feel like they want to be part of that advocacy effort, but they're not really sure where to start, what are your suggestions for how they could do that? Well, I'll start. I think you can make a difference, even at the local level, at the district level. You know, we've talked a lot in this episode about making change uh, legislatively, you know, with TSBEP. But I think what we forget when we talk about developing leaders is let's start where we're at. You know, you got to be in the room where it happens. And the, and the room where it happens is every day in your local district. You know, I think about the systems change I was able to make in Flukerville ISD. And I, what I would say is don't stop advocating, you know, um, you know, th there's a place for it. And, and if you need help, hell, reach out to me, I'll hold your hand, you know, I've, you know, Laurie and I've done a lot of helping people at the Capitol, you know, because it's hard when you say, call your representative and tell them blah, blah, blah. Uh, we've es escorted many a person into the Texas Capitol and the US Capitol for that. But I, I think what I would tell the future generation is, it only takes one. It only takes one. And you can make a difference and, and stop doubting yourself that you can't make change, even at the district level. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree that the, the most important advocacy for the individual school psychologists in Texas is at the building level and or the district level. One person when I started at, at the middle school where I worked, they had no pre-referral process whatsoever. I just said, no, we're not doing, no, so there's rules. You can't just make a referral because someone's mad at a kid. There's rules and process. And then if you do that at one campus and another camp and your, your, your rate of kids who don't qualify goes from 70% to 20% in one year, then other campuses are going to go, what the heck happened over there? You know? And so then it becomes kind of a ripple effect. But that's one person at one campus being confident about what they do know about what you what is legal and what is not legal and how you go about negotiating that so advocating at the campus level for what you know having that confidence and if you're not confident call someone who is confident and we will give you the words um, and then when asked participate I noticed that Paul went out um, for people to contact their representatives and NAS regularly sends them out um, when something important is coming to committee or whatever. When asked, send those letters, make those calls. That really, that makes a huge difference. They literally have people whose job it is to answer the phone and make a little mark. This person, this constituent is for this. This one is not, you know, really, that really matters. Don't be passive. That, you know, that really is the first piece of advice. And, you know, any, any of my former students who are listening know that they hear the words, be the change repeatedly in classes with me, because that's the only way we grow as a profession. Um, there are some people who think that we're, you know, we're, we've been around for a long time. Those people are much younger than me because school psychology and quite frankly, idea is younger than me. We're a very young profession and we're growing and it's up to us to define who we're going to be as we move forward. Well, and I, and I would end it too with, you know, my personal motto through this, and especially when I think back to that first 
you know, delegate assembly that Laurie and I walked in and I was like, shit, I'm intimidated. Like, oh my God, like you don't speak till you're spoken to. But my motto has always been fake it till you make it. And, and that's, and that's, that's what I would say, yeah. um, you know, because that'll get you far. Gosh, you guys are great. I loved this conversation. I love talking with y'all. Uh, you are inspiring and encouraging to all of us. So thank you for uh, for your time, uh, for what you continue to do for our field, for our members, and for kids. Absolutely. Thank you all for coming on and sharing this information. And we have, we've been so happy to have y'all and all of our, our legends in this series. And now we're going to move into everyone's favorite part, of the task talks podcast the lightning round all right and so we have two of y'all here today so here's what we're going to do i will give you a lightning round question and we want the first answer that comes to your mind so this is a fluency assessment we're conducting here god uh, and do we wait do we also get to check each other's answers because because laurie and i know each other pretty well so oh gosh that would <laughs> maybe, be funny maybe yeah if we say the same thing it's truly honest <laughs> All right, I'm gonna, so I'm going to, I'll give the question and I'm going to alternate who I start with. And so we'll start with Ashley on this first one. So Ashley, what is your go-to choice for a snack? Chips and queso or chips and salsa. Perfect. That's the, that's the correct answer. Good job. You get a point. Uh, Lori? Candy. Any, any candy, any and all candy. Any, any and all. I get, I get that. I have a candy drawer in my desk, so I understand. All right, Lori, uh, what is one of your, you don't have to pick a, a goat, but one of your all one of your all-time favorite movies? Fargo. Ashley? Steel Magnolias. Ashley, what is a TV show that you usually recommend or most recently binged? I, I recommend to others, even when they discount it, that uh, certain people should watch The Big Bang Theory because they would like it, even though <laughs> even though they tell me they won't. Hey, if you if you're on for like 11 years, like there's gotta be something there. Lori? Ozark. Ozark. Oh, Great. yeah. That's totally the I same answer. I a little darker. I was going to say, that's not at all yeah. the same answer, Big Bang Theory and Ozark. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Lori, what is your favorite assessment to give or evaluation? Uh, ADOS. ADOS. Okay. Yeah. Always fun. Good time with the ADOS. Ashley? I, I feel I'm uh, contractually obligated to say anything that. <laughs> <laughs> And I wasn't thinking of WPS when I said ADOS. I just yeah. love doing it. It's just super you guys fun. Guys sneaking in free promos here. Okay. Ashley, coffee or tea? Coffee. What's your order? Uh, at my house. I want my own <laughs> Control freak. Got it. Okay. Lori, coffee or tea? And then what's the order? Diet Coke from Sonic. Diet, okay. Scratching them both. You know what? I'm not really a coffee person myself, so I understand. Lori, what is an unusual or fun fact that we should know about you? I won a karaoke contest in about 1998. There you go. <laughs> That's awesome. We can put you together with Nancy, our, our mariachi expert, as we learned on her episode. Ashley, fun or unusual fact about you? Well, because uh, I believe um, those of us that are vertically challenged should be highlighted in all ways. I have had dinner with TLC's The Little Couple. <laughs> nice. All right. And then Ashley, I took last her question. to oh. that dinner. She oh. did. She did. Very, yeah. Yeah, very... Shout out to well, actually, shout out My to my mother for that. Yes. <laughs> her mother invited me. So Nice. All right. Ashley, what other than your family? sparks joy in your life oh Pro 
probably uh, sports. You know, it's hard right now as a Texas Rangers fan for that to spark joy. But you know, uh, it it will. It, it's a rebuilding year. But any sports, I could, I sports does it for me. Yeah, it's rebuilding year for seven or eight years in a row now. Yeah. And for the Cowboys <laughs> and you know the Mavericks. I mean, you know, it's rebuilding the whole city. Lori, what other than family? Because everyone gives that. What sparks joy? Shopping. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And that completes our lightning round. You both pass as you're within normal limits. We're good. We are superior. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank y'all both for being here today. Thank y'all for being on the show. And thank you for sharing your amazing knowledge and all of your past and future and present advocacy for the field. My pleasure. Thanks for having us. All right. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of Task Talks. Thank you all for listening in. Hope you've made it to the end. We will see y'all next week. We're going to have another great episode. And until then, make good choices. But she, we, we did not talk in recording depth about... a podcast. So, oh, tell your mom hi. Ashley says hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Would your mother like to make an appearance? Right she, she, she says not right now. <laughs> <laughs>